Well, good morning. This is the uh, fourth uh, class in our series on the Word as a Means of Grace using the larger catechism. I had one uh, sort of correction. This is from two weeks ago because we didn't have a class last week, so I'm afraid I'm the only one who remembers this <laughs> because it wasn't a big point. But uh, we looked uh, in the initial meditation at uh, 1 Peter 2, 1, uh, which refers to the uh, milk of the word. And I said that the of the word was not in the original, which is not correct, I realized later. Uh, the, the milk, the, the word milk is modified by an adjective which can mean either rational or spiritual. I think we're mo- most familiar with Romans uh, 12.1, which is your uh, spiritual service or rational service. And so uh, ESV, for example, translated as spiritual milk, uh, New King James, milk of the word. They're both uh, reasonable uh, translations. Uh, I actually argued that even if you take the adjective to be spiritual, the, the emphasis on the word is implicit in the context. So just a correction that the New King James wasn't introducing something which wasn't there. Okay, so today we come to uh, catechism question 157. Uh, last time we looked at uh, who should read the word, and the answer was, well, everyone uh, should read the word, but Uh, Now we come to the question about how the word should be read. So how is the word of God to be read? And the answer is the Holy Scriptures are to be read with an high and reverent esteem of them, with a firm persuasion that they are the very word of God, and that he only can enable us to understand them, with with desire to know, believe, and obey the will of God revealed in them, with diligence and attention to the matter and scope of them, with meditation, application, self-denial, and prayer. So as often happens with the larger catechism, you think it should be easy to get through a question in a lesson, and then, um, okay, well, it is the larger catechism. So there's there's quite a lot there. I'm going to try to get through it in some sort of systematic form, more or less semicolon by semicolon, um, although I think I lumped the first two parts together. But to begin our our thinking about this, uh, let's uh, turn together to Romans chapter 15. So as you're turning there, I want to emphasize that uh, this question about how the word of God is to be read, we may actually think about our own uh, reading in private, uh, which is very important, and I'll probably tend that way in my emphasis. But even the question before in this passage in Romans 15 emphasized the value of the word for the whole congregation. So how the word of God is to be read applies to the one reading the word in public, the one hearing the word in public, as well as the use of the word in in private and in families. So Romans 15, I'll read verses 1 through 6. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this passage uh, may look familiar because we studied it in connection with the 
last or next to the last lesson in the series on the Trinity. Uh, Here the Apostle Paul, in context, is dealing with uh, conflict within the church. Chapter 14, uh, those who have different scruples about uh, what to eat or what day to observe. And that's why the Apostle starts with, we who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. And you remember that the, uh, the amazing thing he does to prove his point is to say that this is exactly what Jesus did. And he quotes Jesus as speaking in Psalm 69 to prove his point. So Psalm 69, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Uh, Paul understands uh, Jesus as speaking in that psalm. And therefore he says if, if uh, our Savior was wearing to willing to bear the reproaches directed toward God and burn with zeal for the church. So we also ought not to please ourselves, but to serve uh, the one who has saved us. So that's that's sort of the background. But especially for our study here, I want to focus on verse four, which is a remarkable reflection. Paul, after having quoted Psalm 69 and hearing Jesus speaking there, says this, for whatever things were written before, were written for our learning. Here the Apostle Paul is uh, referring especially to the Old Testament. So uh, that means when we think about our lesson about how to read the Word of God, we shouldn't take only the New Testament for the subject. The the Old Testament is uh, valuable, and he says what its value is, that that through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So you can imagine in their own situation when there was conflict, when there were disagreements, uh, there would, it would be difficulties about hope. But I think it especially points toward the larger hope of the hope of eternal life with God, the communion with God uh, forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And that hope is something of an emphasis. I didn't read all the way down to verse 13, but he prays again that they would abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the question is, how is it that we get hope? And the answer is, it's through the scriptures, right? Uh, Now, specifically, Paul says in uh, verse 5 that the God of patience and comfort will grant them to be like-minded. So it is through patience or endurance and uh, comfort or encouragement that hope comes to us. And what he's really saying is that we serve a God who is the God of and uh, endurance and comfort. He's the one who gives these things to us. But how does he give these things to us? Well, that's what he's saying in verse 3. It's through the scriptures. So if you want to know the encouragement, the comfort, the perseverance that you need in the Christian life and in the Christian church, Paul is saying, look at the things that were written before. That's why we have them, that we would be encouraged and that we would have hope. So I want to stress that up front. Again, it's Maybe it's more connected with our earlier part of the study of the value of the word. But it's an encouragement when we talk about how to read the word. And the word diligence comes up again. You know, we're supposed to do all these things. That this is not some, you know, dreary task that you just have to do because someone assigned it to you. It's God's pleasure to bless us with endurance and comfort and hope by that means. That's what the word is given to us for. And... um, That's the rich blessing that Paul points to. You might say it's even sort of an incidental comment. It's not maybe directly connected with the conflict in the church, but really it is. He wants to direct them how they can really find comfort and hope. And by the way, uh, this this will come up later, but 
uh, this also teaches us how to read the word, right? We should read the Psalms, for example, and we should hear the Messiah speaking of his suffering on our behalf. Paul is not only teaching us to read the word, but also how to, uh, a point that I want to come back to later. Okay, so that's the introduction, sort of a meditation on uh, Romans 15 to encourage us in our uh, study of the scriptures. Um, I want to turn now to uh, the the first of the main points after that introduction, which is uh, receiving the scriptures as the word of God and dependence on him. Um, So, yeah. So that's sort of like the first two semicolon points combined together. I I thought I'd try to make progress through it that way. And uh, here, again, this is something we've talked about before, but here we're thinking about the way we approach the reading of the word, not just as a a doctrinal matter that the scriptures are the word of God, but how does that fact uh, help us and how should that uh, determine the way we read the word? And for that, I... uh, passed out several scripture references. Some of these are going to come back uh, later. Before we read those first, let's all turn to uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. This is a passage we've looked at, uh, I think, once or twice already in our study. It's uh, instructive uh, in many ways, but uh, instructive especially in terms of the, uh, the reference in the larger catechism to the reference of, uh, sorry, the reception of the word with high and reverent esteem. So remember in Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra, it's the book of Nehemiah, but this is talking about Ezra here. Ezra has uh, uh, gathered the people together. He's going to uh, read the law to them. And I'm just going to pick out some aspects, some, uh, some parts of the passage to highlight this one aspect. Uh, he read from it, from the book of the law in the open square. This is verse 3 that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So they they were focused on the book. Yes, that was a long reading from morning until midday. And yet that was their attitude. That was their esteem of the word. Uh, Notice also verse uh, five, their response to it. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was standing above all the people. They built this platform. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And again, it's an expression, a bodily expression of this uh, reverent esteem for God's word. Then just a couple more in verse uh, nine, skipping down after uh, the reading. uh, Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They weren't indifferent to what they had heard. It was a word that convicted them. And again, this this underlines uh, the gravity with which they took the reading of the word, that it caused that. And they were encouraged not to do that. They, that's, uh, they are to uh, rejoice instead. They're not to mourn or weep. So just uh, reading verse 12. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. So there is a rejoicing in contrast to a mourning, because they understood the words. And it's that kind of response to the word that we can see 
uh, in other parts of the scripture. Uh, Psalm 19, verse 10, I think. Is that yours, Melody? I can't remember who, who I gave what. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Okay, so that's Psalm 19 referring to the word of God and the delight in it, uh, calling it as, uh, as sweet and um, comparing it with honey. And then um, in terms of reception as the word of God, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.13 Okay, so Paul was thankful that when he ministered the word to the Thessalonians, they didn't take it as just another lecture, this guy passing through town, he has some interesting things to say. They received it as the word of God. And uh, the last part that Rachel there reads, you know, it works effectively in them. We, we talked about that in an earlier catechism question. They didn't ask for the whole context, but if you go on, he says he knows they received it that way because the change of the change in their lives. They turned away from idols. They worshiped the true God. That, again, is uh, the response which receives the word as the word of God. Not something that I'll think about, but actually, some, well, we should think about it. We'll come back to that. But something that actually has a deep and lasting effect in our lives. So um, how is it that we uh, esteem the word of God? Uh, one way we esteem the word of God is uh, by uh, not reading it as if it were just any other book. So that's a question you can come to when you're asking about how to read uh, the Bible. Uh, should you read it as just any other book? Well, the answer is no. Um, but I'll come back to that question later on and say, well, yes, in some ways you should read it the way you would read any other book. There are certain rules for reading that would apply just as well to the Bible. But certainly here, uh, when uh, they received the word, they received it as the word of God. And that means that um, we're not to sit in judgment over it, uh, right? We are to be receiving it as the word of God and not, not trying to uh, determine which parts uh, we think are right and which parts we think are wrong. That's especially, I think, uh, embedded in much of uh, modernist theology where um, you have to discern what it is that is the word of God and what really applies to you. Uh, but esteeming it as the word of God instead calls for a completely different attitude, which uh, we'll see more of as we go along. Uh, the second part of this uh, point about esteeming it as the word of God is uh, that we should be persuaded that he only can enable us to understand the word of God. So that's a point that we, uh, again, have talked about a little bit before. It is the special work of the Spirit to work to enlighten us by the Word and to teach us by the Word. Now, we need this because, well, first of all, we still have sinful tendencies, even as uh, renewed believers in Christ. Uh, but we also need this because we are finite creatures, and we're reading about the unsearchable riches of Christ, so that's why we need uh, the work of the Spirit to help us to understand. That's why we should depend on the Word. And here um, I asked uh, Jeff to read three verses from Psalm 119. Uh, there are lots of possible choices, but here are three. Verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. 
verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. And verse 73. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Okay, so it's interesting. We, we had a whole series on Psalm 119 in December, but it's interesting to reflect how often the psalmist not only delights in the law, but says, I need help. <laughs> Teach me by the law. God is the great teacher by the spirit. And so uh, the psalmist recognizes that without the help of God, he won't understand it. And, and in the middle of those three references, verse 33, he says, the purpose is so that I can do it. Okay, So that's, again, something we'll come back to, but it's not, it's not uh, just for the sake of information, but it is uh, so that we can actually respond to that. Now, here again, uh, I want to underline an, a, a point I've tried to make again and again in this study, uh, and that is uh, because we're talking about, especially as we go on, our, their need for diligence, our need to be good students of Scripture, um, I want to emphasize again that this is the gift of God. Okay? So uh, we, I won't turn to 1 Corinthians 2, but we looked at that earlier in our study. Um, Paul says there, you know, the things... Uh, that are revealed are uh, foolishness to the natural man. He can't receive them. And the reason is that they're spiritually discerned. And by that, he means by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the encouragement to us is that uh, even though we have a difficult book to read, even though we're supposed to be diligent in the use of the book, it's God's gift not only to give us the book, but to give us the spirit to understand the book. And as we saw in the first part of our study, the work of the Spirit is really there uh, giving us the benefits of our bond with Christ. The Spirit is the bond of union with our Savior. The Catechism says, you know, he communicates to us the benefits of the redemption uh, purchased by our mediator, Christ. And that's then another way to think about God's goodness to us, not only in giving us the word, but giving us the mind of Christ, which is what Paul says later on in that passage. That is, uh, we are in union with the wisdom of God. That's who Christ is. And so because of that union with uh, the wisdom of God and the work of the Spirit, we can have wisdom. We can understand and uh, uh, enjoy God's law. So when you read the scriptures, think of them as as the wisdom of God and Christ as a gracious gift to you, not only to read, but also to understand and enjoy. And then it won't uh, be a, a duty, but a, an enjoyment of our communion with Christ. Okay, so that's, uh, I don't know how quickly that was, but that's fairly quickly covering uh, receiving the scriptures as the word of God in dependence on him. We should always, uh, when we're studying, confess our uh, need for God's help and dependence on him. Any comments or questions so far? Okay. Um, the next uh, part that I uh, grouped together was, uh, I guess you could call uh, the motive or uh, the, the need for a submissive heart, which is uh, in terms of the larger catechism, uh, this uh, need to, so there are three things it says, the desire to know, believe, and obey the will of God revealed in the scriptures. Now, uh, we've already seen that in the readings from Psalm 119 and 1 Thessalonians 1, right? The reception of the word of God wasn't 
um, merely for information. Or as uh, people like to use the word academic these days, uh, studying the scriptures is not merely an academic study. That wasn't actually the original meaning of academic, but now it means uh, impractical, I guess. Uh, Studying the scriptures is not merely an academic study. It's not just so that we can learn about the literature or history. It's not just so that we can win arguments with people. Right? The scriptures are there so that we can know them, so that we can believe them, and so that we can obey them. This, again, is uh, a problem uh, many times in uh, academic literature, so I'll use the word in the proper sense, where people only study um, what the Bible is saying without actually thinking about how it uh, causes us to live or what it causes us to think. Um, J.G. Voss, in his uh, commentary on the larger catechism, this is Voss, son of the famous Gerhardus Voss, um, says this, uh, he's really good at examples like this. Uh, What would we think of a guilty, convicted criminal who, when offered a free pardon, would pay no attention to this offer, but merely write an essay on the literary form and style of the message by which the offer was conveyed. Voss is really good that way. Um, Unlike his father. Uh, So that's that's exactly the difficulty that we can fall into sometimes also. In our, in our reading, we can go through the motions. This is the part of scripture I'm supposed to read today without reflecting on the fact that it is, it is something that we should not only know, but also believe and obey. So uh, that twofold function of the word, especially uh, teaching us what to believe, which is extremely important, uh, and also convicting us of how we should live is uh, an important part of our response in reading the word. And I want to turn uh, next to the uh, call to uh, diligence. So here the larger catechism uh, talks about diligence and attention to the matter and scope of the scriptures. So this is a call to diligence and to careful reading of the scriptures. And uh, here, I think we have to be uh, a little careful, especially uh, I as a teacher have to be careful here. There, there's some sort of uh, tricky points in this, like, you know, do you read it as any other book or, or not? Um, so here, especially when, when we talk about the need for diligence and careful reading of the scriptures, there are lots of things that we can list, and I'm going to ask you to give me some resources that you find useful. But we should make it clear up front that the scriptures are basically clear. Okay? The theological word for that is perspicuity, which is like, you know, why would you have a complicated word to say that things are clear? I don't know, but that's the word that people use. So let me just read the, the section of the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is a good resource on all of this part of the larger catechism. This is uh, chapter 1, paragraph 7. All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned but the unlearned, in a due use of the ordinary means, may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. So That's saying that uh, you don't have to be a scholar, you don't have to be uh, 
devote your entire life, that your profession is to study the word of God, to understand the gospel, and to live the Christian life. Uh, Although it is a big book, God has made the basic message plain enough in the book. And I want to emphasize that up front because I'm afraid the rest of what we're saying is going to be off-putting. Like, you know, I can never, you know, understand all those resources. I can never do all those things. Um, This is just a challenge to do what we can and to be encouraged in diligence, um, whatever our uh, background or training is. So let's start with that. Uh, The first part of diligence is to be regular in reading the word of God. Okay. (laughs) So when we talked about this uh, um, and I asked about what we could do with children, Dave uh, mentioned the need for repetition. Okay. Repetition works for adults too, right? You need to read diligently. That means to be regular in reading the word of God. You should also have the attitude that it will repay careful study. There's some things that don't repay careful study. You only read them once and you're done with them, but that's not the way the scriptures are. Uh, We looked uh, before at John 5.39, where Jesus says, um, search the scriptures, or you search the scriptures. Uh, The point is basically the same, um, and they speak of me. So one other reference along these lines is Acts 17.11. Did I give that out? Yes. Thank you. Okay. Okay, so the Bereans, you know, everyone talks about the Bereans. It's a familiar passage. Uh, The larger catechism refers to it. But uh, the point is that uh, they were careful in their study. They they wanted to see carefully whether the scriptures taught um, what they had heard. And that's the the call. It's not, um, you might say it's not in that sense complicated, but it does require uh, time and effort. The difficulty, of course, is that the Bible is a big book. It's not a simple book. And um, diligence uh, looks pretty daunting. So I want to turn to some, maybe some more practical things that can help us in uh, the use of uh, the word. And again, in our private devotions or wherever. So the first thing I would encourage you Uh, to help you in your study of uh, the word in private is to listen to the preaching of the word. Preaching of the word is not only there to help you understand the given passage and apply it and what you should believe, but also to teach you how to interpret passages in general, right? You're supposed to be learning from the preaching. Oh, this is how I would read a passage. This is how I could uh, work to interpret it. So having the preached word week by week is an, uh, incredible value, even for the private uh, reading of the word. And that's your first and main resource. Again, you don't have to be a scholar. Come to church, listen to the word preached, learn how to understand and apply the word there. There are lots of other uh, resources that people use to study the word. And here's where I'm going to give you a chance to say something. So uh, I think Dave has been teaching a class on this, uh, so maybe... Dave wants to say something, but what what resources do you find helpful in uh, your study of the word? And it can be very simple. I'm not looking for something fantastic. Uh, Yes? The dictionary. Okay, good. 
Start there. Know what the words mean. Good. Okay. Vicky? Okay. Matthew Henry is an excellent resource. Covers the whole Bible. Um, and uh, very practical, easy to read. Good. Other things? Dave? Sometimes an audio version can help as well as to help you see the same passage in a through different medium. That's good. Good. Along those lines, uh, reading in a different translation might help. Um, okay. Other things? There are basic resources like uh, an atlas. If you don't have any idea where Moab is or the, all these different countries, help to look it up, especially if you're reading Amos because he's sort of going around the circle uh, to the, the zero in on one country. So there, there are lots of different resources uh, available. And again, I, I want to be careful here. I don't want it to say, you know, uh, you can't read the Bible and be saved unless you have a Bible dictionary. Okay, the scriptures are plain enough. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, it's important for us to realize that we learn uh, together. And I tried to make this point up front that you shouldn't separate the reading and preaching of the word in public from your reading in private. Uh, there's a, a mutual relationship there, which is very helpful. And that's part of the value of reading uh, commentaries, uh, especially from the past, like Matthew Henry, because they're uh, speaking from a different context and giving us perspectives that we uh, might tend to miss. Um, so one other uh, comment here, and uh, try not to spend too much time on this point. This is on the lines of, should you read the Bible like any other book? Uh, the answer is a qualified, yes, you should. Okay, so... Um, how should you read the Bible? Well, you should pay attention to what the type of literature you're reading is, right? Is it poetry? That's a sort of a basic question. Is it prose? Is it history? Um, is it a parable? There are various things that will, various types of literature, and paying attention to that will help. And uh, that's one thing. You should ask who is speaking in a given passage. That's what uh, Paul did when he read Psalm 69, and the answer was Jesus is speaking here. But in general, just a basic uh, way of reading a text is to ask who's speaking here. Ask what the context is. You know, don't just pluck verses out of context, but try to see what the greater context is. And that leads to maybe the most important point in the next uh, part of the of this section of the Catechism answer, and that is you should remember that there is really only one divine author of the book. There are lots of individual authors, and you should ask, you know, is this, is this Paul writing or is this Peter? But uh, because there's only one ultimate author the work, by the work of the Spirit, that means lots of things. That means, for example, we should use Scripture to interpret Scripture. If you're up against a passage that uh, seems difficult, try to find a similar passage that uh, or a passage that addresses something similar to interpret, help you interpret that. And this leads to this uh, question about the matter and scope, which is the, the phrase that the uh, larger catechism uses, um, especially the, the part of the scope. I think we've more or less already talked about the matter. Um, 
this uh, word, the scope of the scriptures, or this phrase actually is uh, used earlier, or used in the Westminster Confession, uh, in talking about the qualities of scriptures, the scriptures and how they would in themselves convince us that they are the word of God. And there they say the scope of the scriptures is to give glory to God. Okay, how does that help? Well, when you're reading, again, whether privately or in public, you should keep in mind, this isn't all about me. This is about giving glory to God. Whatever it is I'm reading, whatever difficulties you read uh, in, in different passages, you should keep in mind that the ultimate scope of this is to give glory to God. Now, the actual proof texts that the uh, larger catechism gives here are maybe some more specific ones. Uh, let's turn to, let's see, which one did I decide we would turn to? Uh, let's turn to uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 27. This is, a, again, a familiar passage. I, uh, there's several others that I put up here. Oh, I didn't make it up there. I was just going to mention. So we already mentioned John 5.39. Um, look at Luke chapter 24, verse 27. This is on the road to Emmaus. The question is, what is the uh, scope of the scripture? And uh, Jesus answers that question specifically uh, in verse 27. Begin, well, this is the summary of what he did. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What's the scope of the scriptures? Well, the scope is to give glory to God. And it is Christ especially who is the focus in giving glory to God. He reveals God to us. And uh, that's why uh, Christ can say in verse 24, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? because that's what the prophet said. Okay. So that's another uh, way to think of the scope of the scriptures. They speak of Christ. And that's what Paul was doing in Romans 15. I'll just mention uh, briefly the uh, summary of the law. Whenever you're reading the scriptures, you can also find helpful summaries of things. In Matthew 22, Jesus summarizes the Ten Commandments actually the whole law in terms of love for God and love for our neighbors as ourselves. Okay, so that's uh, trying to talk pretty quickly there through the, uh, the way we should read the word of God with diligence and carefully. I wonder if you have any other thoughts on that subject, uh, things that you find helpful in uh, thinking about being diligent and uh, thinking about reading the scripture uh, with the whole of Scripture in mind. Dave? Can I comment on the no believe in the way part? Sure. Um, yeah. So it's one of the things that uh, I, I find easy to lose sight of is that the purpose of the Scriptures is not to inform you uh, without any purpose in mind other than but there's a, a strange link that's not always uh, presented uh, between being willing to obey and, being, and then being able to understand. Mm-hmm. Right. We, we, often, yeah. we often get the, the order of those 
confused, and obedience somehow always finds its way at the bottom of the pile. And once we certify things in our minds, we're willing to then evaluate and proceed to obey. But sometimes the knowing, believing, and understanding comes only after the obedience. And so reading the scriptures in that uh, submissive stance or posture can go a long way to gaining understanding. Right. Very good. Thank you. That's good. Dan. Just to challenge that a little bit, but in a good way. Uh, I'm just finding that the. Uh, here we go, David. No, it's right that uh, in our current cultural moment, I'm not sure I can hear what he's saying because I have the authority of what is true, right? And so if I don't understand it, Yeah. So just the chicken, we all have the same thought, right? I, I, I'll obey it later, but right now I need to understand it. I'm, I'm the authority. Yeah. That's good. I mean, that's bad, but that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing to, to just tack on to real quick is most of this, this, this week, uh, it's actually in that Wednesday study, we had somebody who's it's not an RV, the person's not sitting in this room, who was just really benefiting right now from a reading of the scriptures. In the, he's in the Psalms. And was commenting on how he's coming to realize these are all about Jesus. He's reading Psalm 18, going, to, you think it's David, and he's talking to Saul, and he's like, this is Jesus talking. Like, there's this whole other thing going on. And uh, just the benefit when it's coming to our lives, by the Spirit carrying everything in their lives. Yeah. That's good. Other comments? Bill? To kind of piggyback on what Dan was saying, not to take Dan's side against David. <laughs> <clears throat> but I can't able for the new convert who's coming to uh, you know how can I as a new convert uh, improve in my Christian walk read the word and by the way do it with diligence attention to the matter and scope of the meditation application you know I mean it, it's, it's almost like prayer that uh, it's better to come and that this is long-term goal improvement you know can even uh, erudite individuals uh, claim some sort of uh, you know uh, correct way of approaching the word or the lofty uh, approach to the word that is necessary that it demands this is a lifetime yeah that's right yeah I've been reading in Isaiah recently, and so often God says he's going to humble the pride of man and exalt himself. And the pride of man is uh, the man Dan was playing, not who Dan is. But, you know, like, I'll believe it, you know, when I can understand it and when I agree with it. And uh, God takes someone who is an erudite but willing to hear the word and, and uh, makes them his, uh, his child. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Good. I want to before I get to the one point. There's one other thing I wanted to say, just to sort of highlight uh, the connection between the Old and New Testaments. And Dan was already mentioning this. Um, and that's uh, one thing that uh, people do when they're reading literature is reread it. Right? If you like a book, you'll reread it, and there'll there'll be things that you gain from it. And I think uh, rereading the Old Testament in light of the New Testament is a similar sort of thing. There are things that you learn that you wouldn't know if you 
had only had the Old Testament. I mean, they're there. I'm not saying we're making them up, but it is with the extra light of revelation that we understand uh, things and understand who Christ is even better by reading the Old Testament. Okay, the conclusion here um, is with meditation, application, self-denial, and prayer. Um, I summarize that as uh, being uh, with other um, habits or disciplines. Um, I'm not sure whether application exactly is a discipline, but uh, I think since we've talked about some of these already, I especially want to think a little bit about meditation. The meditation, and actually this whole subject comes up again when we talk about how we should hear the word of God preached. I guess the Westminster divines thought we should hear this twice. Uh, so, you know, how, how we hear the word of God preached is similar to how we should read the word of God. But just uh, briefly on uh, thinking about meditation, turn with me to Psalm 1. This is one of the uh, frequent uh, proof texts. It's here in the larger catechism for the need for meditation. And again, I think it's, it's very familiar to us. Um, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So there's the delight that we talked about, and I I tried to emphasize at the beginning, this is a delight because it's God's good gift to us, and he works uh, by his spirit to enable us to understand and delight in it. But the response there is that uh, in his law he uh, meditates. Uh, The New King James has a translation footnote, ponders by talking to himself. So the Hebrew word is something like uh, murmur or mutter. Um, Some people who are, you know, don't have all their wits about them do that all the time. But uh, here we're called, you know, if you're thinking about a difficult subject, you've done that sort of thing, right? You've, You've tried to think through things and you actually find yourself, you know, sort of speaking to yourself about it, trying to figure out what's going on. And that's really the idea of of meditation. It's certainly not the emptying of the mind. You always have to say that in connection with a subject, which is uh, more what you think of with uh, Eastern meditation, maybe Far Eastern meditation. Uh, This is the content of the law, which is thought about. You ponder. uh, You work on it. It's it's interesting to me that the same word is used in Psalm 2. So if you turn to Psalm 2, uh, verse 1, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The word plot in the original is the same as the word that's translated elsewhere. So it's literally something like uh, meditating on emptiness. (laughs) I mean... You know, can you think of anything more stupid than rebelling against God and his Messiah? That's that's the sort of thing. This is like you're muttering to yourself about something that's going nowhere, right? And you could say maybe the, everyone meditates, right? There are always things churning in our minds, uh, whether you're meditating on emptiness or whether you're meditating on the law of God. It's a choice. You know, what is it that you're going to exercise your mind about? And especially if... Uh, like me and I suppose other people, you know, sometimes it's easy to exercise our minds about things that actually aren't going to go anywhere. I can't do anything about it. I'm just being anxious. Well, meditation on the law of God is uh, is not the alternative. It's the call. It's the way that the word becomes even deeper ingrained in our lives. And so I think it's uh, 
as a kind of a summary of the whole question and how how this works out in practice, this last part is helpful. We should we should uh, meditate on it. Um, we should apply it, which we've discussed. Um, the self-denial, uh, I think uh, they have in mind in terms of the scripture reference of our acknowledgement that we are in ourselves unable to carry out this task. <laughs> okay, so the uh, this is again the, going back to the fact that we're confessing at the beginning that only he can enable us to understand them. So self-denial means I'm not going to depend on my own resources. Uh, the scripture reference they use is in Proverbs 3, lean not on your own understanding. That's self-denial. Uh, casting ourselves completely on God so that we can understand. And the prayer is there, again, because we, we can depend on him for help. Uh, it's always in the context of prayer. Okay, so say many times they don't call it the larger catechism for nothing, and this is like only a medium-sized answer, uh, but it is packed full of stuff. Any any concluding comments or questions? 